Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's the lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday and had a focus last week on the Federal Reserve meeting. As I, I'm sure most people saw, the Federal Reserve uh, decided to begin to taper asset purchases, but overall remained very dovish. Interest rates are still at zero and not, not expected to increase anytime soon. And all of this was despite the fact that Jerome Powell did say that the level of inflation we have is not at all consistent with price stability. And also that there are signs of a, quote, really strong labor market. Yet the Federal Reserve continues to, to maintain an easy money policy because it's talking about not having achieved maximum employment, which is a nebulous term that they're not really defining. But Eric, any thoughts on any of that? I mean, for me, I think I have more questions than answers. And I think since you spent a lot of time yourself on the transcripts with the Federal Reserve, you read a lot about them. Have you seen any changes in terms of maybe the tone about the raising rates going forward? Because the explanation I, they give that it doesn't think like it's controversial to not raise rates. And everybody seems to think like it is actually controversial for them not to raise rates at this point in time. Like what exactly is their thinking there? What, what do you get about it? Yeah, I mean, I think 12 years of an effective zero interest rate policy has taught everybody who's operating capital markets that you shouldn't fight the Fed and that the Fed is going to be uh, leaning towards a very easy money policy. And everybody's just kind of watching and, and no sign no sign of changes, I guess. I think uh, the last bit of the quote that we highlighted was about them not wanting to surprise the market. So I think that was what maybe they're going for. So I think the expectation would be for them not to not to raise rates for a little while longer. And when they do, that they will give express notice to the market so that there's no taper tantrum like last time. So I think that would be maybe what is informing how they are going forward. I think right now everybody kind of agrees that this is so late in the cycle. They should be raising rates at this point in time. I think every company that you're reading, especially in the, in the financial real estate sector, they actually are expecting that they should raise rate, rates uh, soon. But then again, I, I, there's a day I went back to our uh, two copies of the transcript, maybe from 2016, and I actually found out banks were still expecting in 2016 that the that the Reserve was going to raise rates. So it was. Just see surprising that back then they were saying next the next in the next sitting they're going to raise rates. So I think this is five years late and we're still hoping for them to raise rates. So P we're pretty much stuck in the rut, so to speak. What do you think there? Yeah, I mean I think for the last twelve years, call it, there's been this psychology that we're in deflation, even though the data doesn't support that there's been any real deflation happening in the US. There's still been, been positive inflation over all of those years. But the mindset is that we are trending towards deflation. And so the Fed had to maintain an easy money policy. Today, we're very clearly experiencing inflation, you know, five, 6% inflation. But then again, the narrative is around, oh, well, it's just transitory inflation. And then, oh, well, it's not transitory, but it's a, it's just episodic inflation. And I mean, the Federal Reserve just seems very intent to not at all address the inflation that it's seeing in the economy and just say, you know, we think things are going to get better, but you know, them printing money into this is not a way to be addressing inflation at all. And a, an emergency monetary policy in this environment feels somewhat irresponsible or at the very least, not at all data dependent. 
And I think that is a major concern as a citizen. Yeah, I agree. Totally. But do, is there any indication from the transcript that the, when they are likely to raise rates? Yeah. I mean, I think the Federal Reserve is being very clear that they don't expect to raise rates until sometime mid next year. So the, the easy monetary policy will, will persist for a while. All right. Anything else that you may have picked from this week's quotes? We had a lot of them, especially in the consumer section. You can pick a few, then then we can break them down as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the the consumer section showed the the juxtaposition between what's happening in the real economy and with Federal Reserve policy, where Federal Reserve policy is is very much focused on an emergency response, and the consumer economy is jumping right back into where it, it used to be in 2019. So you're seeing kind of the last fringes of the economy healing with things like people returning to gyms, Airbnb seeing a pickup de in demand in urban areas, Uber seeing strong demand for bride share, Vegas ba bouncing back. And then you're also seeing some beneficiaries of the pandemic seeing headwinds. So like Peloton experiencing a post-pandemic slowdown, Chegg talking about people not not investing much as much in their education. Again, so you're seeing this like, final complete normalization of the economy that is showing up in earnings calls right now. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I agree on that. The companies experienced uh, really tailwinds during the pandemic are actually experiencing slowdowns, as you've noted. One of them that I've also been observing very keenly, it's, uh, it's Peloton. And I think one of the quote, their quote from the CEFO was actually very telling. He says that they underestimate the reopening impact in the company and the overall industry. So if you put uh, side by side, Peloton and Planet Fitness, they show you the trend of the economy. So Peloton is experiencing headwinds as the economy opens. Uh, they're experiencing slow down traffic on their website. While Peloton is experiencing headwinds, we can see a, a company like Planet Fitness is experiencing tailwinds as people move back into the gym. Airbnb is also experiencing demand in urban areas. Uh, people are moving back away from suburban areas. As you say, it tells you that the economy is reopening and things are actually almost renormalizing. And I think a couple of weeks ago, we saw a quote that says that people are now learning to live with the pandemic. Like it's not something that is going to be wholly disruptive of people's lives going forward. Um, of course, we continue to see issues with the supply chains as we head into the uh, holiday season. And I think it's a very key thing to note. The quote from Freightwave CEO that said that people may actually be forced to go to stores this holiday to actually, instead of shopping online to you, then you'd normally expect them to. So I think that's something notable. Anything else that you may have noted yourself? Yeah, two other areas of normalization that are noteworthy. One in housing markets. Redfin mentioned housing markets are starting to normalize now. That means price levels going up by only 13% instead of 24% a year, which is still a massive jump in home prices. But that's another sign where like Chegg or Peloton, where people are, are focusing more on experiences, again, going out traveling rather than the intense focus on the home, you're seeing a, a bit of a shift away from, from housing spend there, potentially. Um, and then the other area, which I just think is kind of comical, uh, where there's not normalization is on the work from home, work from office front, where I think companies still kind of want to try to get their people back in offices. But I think that employees don't really want to go back in the office, want to be able to still have the flexibility of working from home. 
And so I think it's really that balance where, you know, people have no problem getting on a plane, but don't want to get on a plane for work. That's making the nature of work change. And it's probably going to have the nature of work change for the longer term because of that. So I thought those were two interesting areas. Yes. And I think one final bit is let's talk about a bit about fusion. And uh, I mean, one of the quotes we picked up there was that you need more backup for solar and wind as energy sources. And I think one of the newer energy sources is fusion. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Thanks for uh, teeing that one up for me, Eric. So some listeners may know that the transcript is a side project for me. My actual day job is as chief business officer at Helion Energy which we're a fusion startup based out of uh, the state of Washington. And we had some big news last week. We actually closed our Series E fundraise. It was $500 million fundraise with opportunities for initial additional $1.7 billion in funding. And we also made a very important announcement that we are expecting to generate net electricity from fusion in 2024. Uh, which means that we will have our first demonstration fusion power facility in 2024. And this is something that I wanted to make sure was highlighted for listeners of the transcript, not just because it's important, it's something that I'm working on, but also because this will potentially have major economic, economic impacts and investment impacts in the energy space. I don't expect us to move markets in the near term, but I think this is something that people will recognize more and more in the not so distant future. I think it's good to say congratulations on that. But then again, it's just to ask in the same breath, I should ask the question, what is fusion energy you know, for the undefeated like me? Sure. Thanks. No, I appreciate you you're asking that. So fusion is the opposite of fission. It's a form of energy where you actually, you combine two atoms together and you get energy out of it. Fission, you split an atom apart and get energy out of it. So fusion is the same energy source that powers our sun and you take two atoms that you can find in water. It's a form of hydrogen called deuterium. You fuse them together and you're able to, to produce energy of it. And a bottle of water uh, containing deuterium water would be able to power a home for 800 years. Um, so it's an incredibly energy dense. It also, you know, as opposed to fission, no risk of meltdown, no long-lived radioactive waste. And it's been this, this holy grail of energy for a long time. People have been trying to do it for 70 years, never been able to do it successfully on earth. And so we're making really great strides here at Helion. And again, we expect to have our first demonstration facility in 2024. All right. Congratulations once again. The energy space is something we've been paying very close attention to. We've noticed in the recent past the issues uh, a lot of the companies are having in this space. So it's exciting to see the, these good developments happening in this space so that we can able to power the planet. Uh, we'll put some links to the tri to the transcript in the transcript to this podcast so that listeners can also be able to read a little bit more and also follow up on what you're doing. On that bright note, we'll end this week's podcast. Uh, thank you listeners for joining us this week. Uh, we hope to see you again next week as we continue to cover our things uh, related to earnings calls 